The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. For the last several weeks, uh, I had been teaching on what I called the God of mercy, and I am switching gears today, but um, we are going to begin today in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. There we go. Uh, But we had spent several weeks on what I simply called the God of mercy, and I did enjoy myself. Thank you, babe. Just several things. Uh, James tells us in his epistle that God is, in the King James, it says he is a God of pitiful, you know, he pity, and tender mercies. Um, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6 that we, we, you know, act like Abba. We live like Abba when we're merciful to the unkind to the ungrateful, to the evil. Um, You know, Micah the prophet tells us that his mercies are new. Thank God every morning. Because I need them every day. Hallelujah. Uh, Many different scriptures in different ways tell us his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. So before we ever came along and messed this thing up, he was already merciful. And long after we're in glory and we've done our share of messing it up around here and we, (laughs) you know, move on, graduate, as some of us have here recently, like Jim's father, you know, we'll be in the fullness of that everlasting mercy. It just goes on and on. Hallelujah. And just, you know, so many different scriptures um, about the God who is merciful. And we don't have to be, there's nothing scary about God's mercy, His goodness, or His grace. Um, I've been told time and again over the years that too much grace, too much, too much goodness of God will lead people to sin and that type of thing. And I've not seen it happen yet. Um, the idea there, I mean, it's wrong on many levels, most of all, first and foremost, scripturally. Um, but just the idea that God, the Father of all fathers, would give us something that's dangerous. It just makes, it's absurd. Grace, mercy, goodness, in other words, that somehow that could be dangerous or uh, licentious or anything like that. It's just not possible. Um, Grace can't lead to sin. Um, You know, any more than water can lead to dehydration, I guess. It's just, it's not possible. It's not in the cards there. So anyways, um, those are all on the Facebook page and they'll soon all be uploaded onto the podcast, the church podcast, which on iTunes and SoundCloud and all that. Nonetheless, today... Um, switching gears a little bit, going to be discussing what I am calling when kingdoms collide. When kingdoms collide, uh, and again, that's beginning in Matthew chapter 16. Um, guess I better get there myself. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, and then we will begin uh, in verse 13. By the way, some of you happen to know Dr. Lynn Hiles a wonderful minister who's we're friends with, this ministry is friends with. Uh, I was reading this uh, last night, and then this is just Matthew 16, verse 1, and it says, that, sorry, it's, it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Lynn has a friend named A.J. Uh, I think his name is A.J. Zambito or something like that. 
Well, AJ was formerly in the mafia. This is a true story. And he got, I don't know if he got saved at one of Lynn's meetings or through knowing Lynn or, you know, I forget how it all worked out. But anyways, AJ, uh, you know, a mafia guy gets born again and, you know, rough around the edges as some of us used to be and as most of you still are. Not really, that's the joke. But uh, AJ, he's hanging out with Lynn. He's traveling with Lynn as Lynn and as Lynn's preaching and traveling and just helping out and just so happy that God would save somebody like him and all that. So anyways, he's been saved for like a year-ish. And then finally, he, him, however it happened, you know, maybe they're in a hotel, maybe they're traveling back to, a, to home after a meeting. I don't know what they're doing, but uh, some way or another, AJ comes to Lynn and says, Lynn, I, I think I pretty much got this Bible thing figured out. I, I got the gist of it now. And Lynn's thinking, man, I've been doing this 30, 40 years. You've been in it for a year. You must really got something. Wow. Jesus walked in your room and just laid all out for you. What happened here? You know? And he said, well, listen, listen. He said, see, I'm reading it and I can tell. So AJ is a mafia guy. And he says, so what's, what it looks like to me is these guys, the Farisees and the Sadducees are, t- are two families. And he was as sincere as he could be, you know? And if you didn't get that, ask your parents when church is over. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus, all my sin. Hey, forget about it. You know, because he, re- he remembers it no more. It's gone, right? Jesus, you turn this water to wine. Let me ask my mother. You know, I don't know. Mafia Jesus, you know? I don't know. But it worked-ish for AJ, you know, so God bless him. Ah, the Pharisees. Now, see, next time you read that, you're going to think that. You're going to think, the Pharisees. I don't know how edifying it'll be for you, but it'll be there. Pharisees and the Sadducees. Nonetheless, God help us. Oh, I do want to mention Cindy um, Hatfield. If you're watching, uh, we did get your letters in, that you sent to us in the mail. And we are praying for you and thank you for the letters and whatnot. And... Um, We love you and praying for you, and thanks for the updates. All right, Matthew uh, 16, starting in verse 13. Again, discussing what I'm calling when kingdoms collide. Uh, Well, let me say from the onset, when I, I don't for a second, you know, we don't want to have some idea that God and Satan, that kingdom of light versus darkness, however you want to put it, we'll say it in myriad of ways, but we don't, I don't want, you know, to communicate or for it to come across as if I'm saying God and the devil are rivals because they're not. You dig? It's not as if, you know, uh, Rocky Four, which you should pretty much know chapter and verse of Rocky Four, peace be upon the holy prophet Rocky. If you can watch Rocky Four and not want to go take over a small country by yourself, you need to find your pulse. That's that's the stuff right there. Or Braveheart, you know. But, but Rocky IV, you know, you've got uh, Drago and uh, Rocky. And when they finally meet up for the big showdown, I mean, Drago just beats Rocky beyond what a human 
could, would, or should endure, you know, it seems like. But somehow, you know, Rocky pulls through as he, as he has a wonderful habit of doing. And, you know, God, I, I almost get chills thinking about it. You know, they're in their, they're in their respective corners. And then uh, Rocky's man, who would it have been there? It would have been Polly and uh, uh, Adrian wasn't there. It was uh, not, in four, not, not in Russia when he fought Drago. Uh, his annoying brother-in-law... And then the guy who I think was friends with Apollo, Apollo's trainer, that's who he was. And he's over there yelling at Rocky, he's only a man, he's only a man, you know. And, and then, in other words, he may look and it may feel like you're punching a steel wall when you hit that steroid-induced, you know, Drago there, but he's only a man. And then, you know, on the other corner, you've got Drago over there, you know, he's not a man, he's not the man, I don't, you know, and he can't, you know, so it's not like that, though. Great movie, go home and watch it in Jesus' name. But it's not like that. It's not as if Jesus and El Diablo are competitors, right? And so we just want to lay that out there just to be clear. But we do, all of us, we do live in space and time, and we do experience difficulties and ups and downs and turmoils and uh, so on and so forth in this realm of space and time. But one thing, you know, to keep in mind, one of my sort of life verses is John, and I'm not turning there, but, you know, write it down if you want or whatever. But John 16, just a glorious scripture where Jesus tells the disciples, and that would include us. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Dang it. You know, didn't sign up for this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But thank God he didn't stop there. He says, but be of good cheer. Oh. I mean, I don't know. He could have just said be cheerful. But just that he added a little, be of good cheer. Like, it's not pie in the sky. This is reality. Be of good cheer. Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. And that, it's like, well, that's good for you, Jesus. But what about us? Well, the good news is his victory is our victory. And so in all things, and I know this is so simple sounding and basic, but I think we can miss it. I think I can miss it. We can all miss it sometimes. But, you know, Jesus, he didn't die, live sinlessly, resurrect, etc., etc., for himself. It was for us. And I know that sounds so basic, but the re so we think about the virgin birth, the sinless life, overcoming Satan's temptation, like in Mark, uh, Matthew 4, Luke chapter 4, as it's recorded in those Gospels. That was all for us. Jesus in heaven as the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, he wasn't arm wrestling the devil. He was, you know what I'm saying? It was, we were the ones in the predicament. And so everything Jesus did, so in, in other words, in Matthew 4, when Jesus overcomes Satan as human flesh, he did it on our behalf. It's a vicarious victory, right? Um, think of even his temptations. Hebrews chapter 4 says, he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. So in other words, even Jesus being tempted by Satan himself and overcoming that temptation as a man, as human flesh and bone, that was our victory. Therefore, because he did what the first Adam could have, would have, should have done. 
right? Satan didn't have the power, the authority to overcome Adam and Eve, but all he could all he could interject was deception. So he offered deception. Man took the bait, but Jesus, as later on, much later on, the second man, the last Adam, overcame Satan's temptation. So he reversed the curse, if you will, right? And he did it for us. And, and that's, I mentioned last week, in the mercy of God, that in his mercy, in his grace, Jesus not only forgives us of the penalty of sin, and if that, if that was all he did, that would be quite wonderful. If we were, quote, just forgiven. I mean, that would be glorious enough to worship God forever and a day, right? You know, but thank God there is more. We have been made new. We are a new creation. We have been born again. We have, all these are scriptures, of course, we have passed from out of death into God's quality of life or abundant life or eternal life, right? And so he not only liberated us from the penalty of sin, but he also set us free from the power, the dominion of sin, right? And so, you know, I'm not turning there, but just as an example, Romans 6.14, wonderful scripture, says, sin will not have dominion over you for you are not under law, law of Moses, but you are under grace. So while none of us are perfect in our performance, our actions, our behaviors, while none of us ever will be perfect, at least on this side, in our, you know, uh, in our actions, our it's behaviors and, and motives and thoughts and whatever, um, the reality is we've been infused with the very life of God. And so as we all individually cooperate with God, with the working of his spirit in us, with his grace working this new creation life, as we, as, as, as Max mentioned a while, while ago, as we work out this great salvation that's within us, we let, we let what's inside find its way out by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will experience progressively victory more and more so over sin. And I'm, I'm very glad for that. Because as a child of God, uh, we've been forgiven. We've been born again. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Um, sin, missing the mark, isn't going to send anyone, won't send you to hell. You're a child of God. But it, the more we cooperate with the devil, the more we can make our lives hell here and now. And I'm just not a fan. I've suffered a lot in life, and you have too. And I've, I've just found better things. Believe it or not, suffering isn't fun. I don't know if you've noticed that yet, you know. Um, and some, some suffering's just inevitable, but I can be the first to tell you that I have put myself, perhaps you have once or twice, I doubt it, but I have, I've put myself through some unnecessary suffering, you know, uh, whether it's through ignorance or whether it's whatever, but through this context, even through sin, Right. And people, you know, Christians are, we've been so beaten up from the pulpit, and I'm spitting, hallelujah, you're welcome. As Lynn says, again, I don't want to be a dry preacher, so <laughs> drink of water here. <sighs> yeah, baby. Um, people are so beaten down from the pulpit, you can't admit that you sin almost. I mean, who that, after, after all the, you know, terrorizing from the pulpit, it's hard. You can't. James chapter 5, James says, confess your sins one to another and forgive each other 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, it was their own squabbles that they needed to... Max, I'm sorry, you know, you made me mad at church last week and, and you went out after the service and you had a flat tire. You know, it was me. I went out there and sliced your tire for that ugly look you gave me during church. You know, that's a joke, by the way. I did not <laughs> cut, Max. But I'm just saying, in other words, it's brother to brother, James chapter 5 in the context. He says, confess your faults one to another. And if you read the whole book of James, they were fighting with each other and squabbling. And a lot of it had to do with money and um, prestige and that type of stuff. And so he was encouraging them, forgive one another. But you know, we can't even, how can you admit that you have sin when you know, you're told constantly how you're going to bust hell wide open for having one unconfessed sin or because you've not been quite perfected yet and, and all of that. And, and what, it, what it amounts to is you can't be honest with other people, God forbid, but worse than that, you can't even be honest with yourself and with God about your sin. So you have to actually deceive yourself into thinking you've pretty much got it all together. And, and as we say all the time, I may not have it all together, but thank God I'm not as bad as Ken. Or, you know, so we don't want to be like that, right? And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, it is not wise to compare yourselves against yourselves or among yourselves. So we, so we don't want to live in that. I got my own sin, my own stuff to deal with, me and Jesus. You deal with your stuff. I'll just love you in the meantime. You just love me in the meantime and we'll, you know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. All right, now. Why I'm talking about all that, I don't know. But here we go. <clears throat> uh, Matthew 16. I want to, um, well, let me read the few verses here and then I'm going to show you something up here. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, verse 14, um, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, and we're going to go back over some of this. I'm just reading through the, the main portion of it here to get us rolling. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ. Same word in uh, Messiah comes from the Hebrew, Mashiach, and it just means anointed or anointed one. Um, the Greek equivalent to that is Christ, Christos. Christos. Um, anyway, so you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, bar Jonah, that's what it means, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, verse 18 I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And there's more there we'll read in a moment, but um, we'll stop there for now. So he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Um, I don't know what translations you have out there. Verse Matthew 16, 18. What does your translation say, somebody? Anybody? Does, it, does anyone say anything besides Hades? The gates of Hades, Matthew 16, 18? Hell? Yeah. Yeah, that's, what's that? 
Is that a note? Oh, amplified. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Deaf. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Those are both uh, all accurate sounding. Uh, death, infernal region, hell. Anything else? I would say those are all accurate. Um, so, so just a little. Let me let me actually do this first. Um, if you'll look up on the screen here, hopefully this works. Got a few pictures here. Let me um, kill the lights while we do this. This is where they were standing, you know, more or less. In other words, this place here is uh, in Caesarea Philippi. And this is what, in the ancient world, this right, this, you're looking at it, that's the gates of hell that Jesus was referring to. Uh, and it, the better translation is Hades, um, the gates of Hades. Now, Hades is the Greek equivalent to what in the Hebrew was called she with I'm butchering it with you know English but what we would basically call sheol right so they're the same thing they're just ones from the Hebrew world mind but the Greek equivalent of it is Hades or Hades and both sheol and Hades uh, the best sort of general definition and this is very accurate this isn't some uh, it's just literally what it really comes down to, is the abode of the dead. And so, I don't know if you ever noticed in your studies and reading the scriptures and all of that. Um, well, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Um, there is a version, a translation of the Bible. So I, I generally use uh, New American Standard. Angie mentioned she's uh, got the Passion, got the Amplified. Uh, we got others present, I'm sure. Um, Living Bible, King James, New King James, several, I'm sure. Um, there's also a Bible translation called the Young's Literal Translation um, by the esteemed uh, Dr. Young, Robert Young. Now, Dr. Young's translation of the Bible, the word, it's a literal translation, the word hell is not in his translation. Because properly speaking, as in a proper noun, properly speaking, the word hell is not in the Bible. But we do have Sheol, uh, which is all throughout your Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, you have three different words, and we won't belabor all these. Uh, one of them is only used once. It's in uh, first, first Peter, uh, Tartarus. And that is its own issue we won't jump into right now. But in the New Testament, generally you have Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, which should never be translated anything with hell. It has nothing to do with the afterlife. Most of the time when Jesus, in your English translation where, where it says hell in Jesus' usage, it's the Valley of, it's a this world, real physical place, right? When Jesus, so, so in other words, like if you were using the King James and you had a Greek concordance or something uh, and you looked it up and it said, Gehenna, like in one of Jesus' usage, that would not be anything to do with the afterlife. That's the Valley of Hinnom, south of Jerusalem. Um, it was a place where the fire was never quenched, where the worm died not, because it was this the giant city rubbaged in. I mean, it was just the public uh, trash dump, trash dump, whatever. 
and it, and it was always burning, and, and there were lots of atrocities associated with Israel's history that had to do with that place. And so it was just a bad, bad, bad deal. Uh, but there's also Hades, all right? And Hades, again, simply means the abode of the dead. And um, is that picture? Yeah, so here Jesus is standing at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus, more or less in this vicinity, tells his disciples that, and, and notice the ground there, the solid ground, Jesus, so you can see as he's talking to Peter, upon this rock, so there's a little, I don't know, kind of in-person wordplay type, I don't know, you know, type thing going on there, but he's saying, Peter, upon this rock, so his name meant rock or stone, yeah, Petros, yep, and so, and upon this rock, and without getting into all of that, Jesus, of course, is the chief cornerstone, right? We understand that. He's the rock, right? And, and Scripture speaks of him in different ways in that capacity. Uh, you know, we, the rock of ages, uh, but even in, uh, in, in different places, you know, Jesus, we know, uh, is referred to as the, the chief cornerstone. Um, we know in Daniel chapter 2 that he's the stone or the rock that comes out of heaven and smashes into the kingdoms of this earth. And while they all topple, his kingdom has everlasting increase and will never be overcome, right? So Jesus is that rock. And so that was what Peter said. What The rock, the solid ground upon which we stand, the solid rock upon which the gates of Hades will not overcome is what Peter said. Who are, you know, who am I? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that. Well, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's the solid rock of revelation that no matter what we're facing, the gates of Hades, the forces of darkness, cannot overcome. Amen. Hallelujah. I like that, man. It, you know, and, and there's lots of ways to think about it. I think about, um, again, we always want to think in... If, if we, you know, spiritual warfare, you know, when kingdoms collide, light versus darkness, all of that. As we learn things, you know, about effective prayer, it's nice to pray, but it's even better to pray and get results. <laughs> you know, I pref I've, I'd prefer effective prayer, right? Hello. Um, Andrew Womack has a teaching called A Better Way to Pray. And he said, I don't know it. You know, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He said, it, it's probably not the best way to pray. But I know I get better results now than I once did, so I just call it a better way to pray, right? And so I, I, I can say amen. I get you, I get you, Andy, Brother Andrew, I get you there. I want to, I just want to get some results. <laughs> Hallelujah, <laughs> you know. But in these things, in learning about effective prayer, in learning about spiritual warfare, um, using the name of Jesus against demonic forces, against sickness and disease, against oppression and torment that comes against your own mind and, and life and whatever, in praying for your children, um, in, in all of those areas that we could put under that heading of spiritual warfare, right? We, we, have, we want to stay anchored, connected to the, the conscience, you know, the reality, as many, many, many wonderful men and women of God have said long before me, we don't pray for victory we pray from victory. So we stay anchored to that reality that I am in Jesus. Right? 
And so, as Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, trials, tribulations, but be of good cheer. How in the world can I be of good cheer when, you know, my kids are going to camps and they're being told that God's making them sick, when loved ones are passing, when we got crazy doctor situations, we got apartments that aren't working out, when this, that, and the others, how in the world, and it doesn't, I don't know if you notice, it's like you're either, as people have said once again, it's like you're almost, you're very rarely in just a good spot. You're either heading into a battle, it feels like, all the time, or just exiting one. Or just exiting one and just stepping right into another one. You know, it's when it rains, it pours, you know, so often. And, uh, but we want to stay anchored. How do I stay anchored? Because I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. I'm not in and of myself. There is a greater one who is with me and in me at all times. And that's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Well, well 1, John 4, 1 John 5, 4, let me say, uh, John tells us, this is our victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Wow. So what is world-conquering, world-overcoming victory? My faith that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm in Him at all times. His victory is my victory. You think about the flood, when the flood happened. There was one, uh, I don't know what you call it, thing or place. It was a mobile place, whatever, the ark. But there was one place, I guess you could say, um, where safety was to be found. And it was in that ark. And in the ark, you know, I'm sure conditions The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.